Hey everybody, hello. Let's see if I'm uh, good to go here. And looks like I am, okay. Hi, <laughs> welcome to Critical Q&A for this week. We are doing it live and I am here uh, flying solo this morning. Mel is otherwise occupied, which is completely fine for the weekend. And, um, and here we are. All right, excellent. Uh, am I sessionable? <laughs> I am doing pretty good today, and uh, yeah, I guess I, I well, uh, no, I, I, I might have imbued, uh, imbibed, or uh, otherwise utilized some substances that don't make me sessionable, <laughs> but I am feeling pretty good this morning. Uh, Sunday morning. Hope everybody out there is doing pretty good. Um, and this is uh, Q&A, so what we should do is, of course, go over, there we go, with the chat, so you can see on screen the questions that are being asked uh, as we go here. I did I did get a haircut, it's true. Uh, I got them all cut. Yep. It was getting a little out of control. <laughs> so, the, the exciting times of uh, Chris Shelton's life. Uh, okay, so really glad you guys are here this morning, and uh, thank you for inviting me into your home to ramble on here and answer some questions for you. Excuse me, Nick, I see that your question there is in the queue, and uh, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Um, yeah, actually, just go ahead and start throwing questions in, and I will get to them as rapidly as I can, and of course... Um, the rule with all live Q&As uh, that I am just writing right now is, of course, if you put your question in a super chat, I will absolutely positively uh, get to it guaranteed. Otherwise, I'm going to do the best I can as we go through here. <laughs> Thanks, Rune. <laughs> Europe, all right. Um, all right, so Nick asks... Uh, we're just going to get right to it. This is a Q&A show. Let's answer some questions. Nick says, uh, Sam Harris has said that because there is no God, it means that there is no such thing as free will. What are your thoughts on this? I didn't exactly think, Nick, that that, that was ex the claim that Sam was making. I think he had a more neurological basis for us not having free will than the non-existence of God, because these two things are not really directly related. Now, I'm only saying that off the top of my head. I did read Harris's free will book, um, but it was a while ago. I can't remember every single thing he said, but I don't remember that being the argument. Regardless, um, I have done a whole podcast on free will, and I've then spoken and talked to some people about it, stuff like that. And um, free will, it's an interesting subject for sure. It very much is. I mean, it's certainly worth, con you know, conversation. But it really depends on what bucket you're looking at it in or what level you're looking at it on. Because um, ultimately, you can take a materialistic view that, you know, there is no such thing as free will. It's all just molecules and atoms, you know, randomly moving through the cosmos. And we are simply nothing but the sum total of you know, the um, neurons and and uh, whatever else is going on in our brain uh, that we don't have any control over. And so because we don't have control over it, we don't have free will. And so we are not really the directors of our fate or the guiders of our life. And I, I you know, I, I can see that argument. I understand the, the points being made in terms of, well, do you, are you the one who's determining what your thoughts are? Are you the one I think in my podcast I talked about, you know, when you think about what's your favorite candy bar, do you get a list of every single candy bar in the world and go through and look at it in your in your mind mentally and then decide from this informed place what your favorite candy bar is? Or do you rapidly, does your brain simply present to you three or four options of the most recent candy bars you could think of maybe, and then you choose from that list? And if that's the case, then do you really have free will to select from anything on the list or only the choices that your brain happens to present to you at that moment? You know, stuff, little, little, you know, questions like this that, that kind of get into it. So... Um, anyway, it's so it's a it's an interesting intellectual conversation that I think lacks a whole lot of practicality. Now that I've really given it a lot of thought, I don't know that it has a lot of practical use to talk about whether we do or don't have free will, because 
in the practical living sense of the day-to-day experience of our lives, we are the ones who are deciding whether we're going to go left or right at the intersection or whether we're going to buy milk or, or soda at the store, right? We, we are the ones who are basically deciding those things. And God certainly has nothing to do with that question one way or the other. So um, that's my little quick rapid-fire diatribe on, on free will this morning. Uh, thanks for that question, Nick, and I'm more than happy to talk more about it if there's more to be said about that. Hey, London. Am I, Maverick's asking, am I going to watch Top Gun 2 whenever it comes out? Uh, no, I don't have any plans to watch Top Gun 2 at all. I do not watch Tom Cruise uh, as an entertainer. I'm not entertained by him. Um, I've, I've uh, said you know, quite a few times now that Tom Cruise is a bit of a monster. Uh, he's, a, he's a malignant narcissist. He definitely does not have anybody else's uh, you know, um, goodwill, good, good, you know. <laughs> he doesn't really think about other people but himself, right? And, um, and he ha- you know, has done some pretty unconscionable things. So, no, I'm not going to go see Top Gun 2 or anything else that Tom Cruise puts out. Um, okay, let's see here. Going down the list here. Let me see if go back up here. I think I'm going to miss some. Oh, can you give us an update on your school activities? Absolutely. It's, it's uh, real, real cool. We're in a really good place right now. I just passed my uh, last essay that I turned in. I got a, on the British grading system, I got a 64 on it, which is, which is good. It's basically like a B. So um, that was a case study that I did on a uh, cult member. So now I have two more essays to write and a dissertation that I need to write. I'm going to get I'm gonna try to get that work done over the next couple months. Uh, all the classwork is now over. The lecturing is now done. So it's really on me to just sit down and, and crank out the essays and get the dissertation done. Um, my professors have been amazing at helping me and to accommodate my schedule and work things out so I'm not under the gun all the time. That was the number one thing I found, learned about myself in the process of this is that I don't do um, uh, time well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do well with time constraints, which is funny because I have a YouTube channel where I absolutely have scheduled times that I need to get things done. But anyway, that was kind of a funny thing that came up during it. But, uh, but it's going really, really well. And um, so, yeah, so that's where, I'm, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm working on. Uh, okay, let's see here. Next question. Oh, Raymond Vanderstelt asks, how is it possible that Scientology is still able to pull new members in despite all the information that is available about this cult? Well, a couple things. Um, One, not everybody reads everything that's out there. Just because you know something, don't make the mistake that everybody else does. And this is this is just a common mistake we all make. So it's no big deal. But it's just that's, you know, don't don't make that mistake. Um, with all the exposure that we have given to Scientology, that with all the work we've done, only a fraction of people out there have actually really heard and understand how toxic and abusive the Church of Scientology actually is. They still get away with fooling and conning people every day of the week. Now, it's a tiny little pipsqueak organization, which is the reason why it's not growing bigger faster. Um, I believe it's shrinking, but that's just my opinion. That's just that's just my think. I don't know for sure that that's the case. Um, none of us actually do because Scientology is completely non-transparent about its numbers. But um, but we do know from drive-bys of the, all the orgs and churches and everything that the parking lots are empty. People aren't really going in. So we do have some observation to back up our ideas on this. Um, anyway, so yeah, so it, just know that there are still a lot of people out there who don't know what they should know about Scientology and can still be wrangled in by it. And that's why we need your help, by the way, to like and share and get our content. Not just me, Tony, Leah, Mike, Aaron, um, you know, all of us critics out here, Karen, who are producing videos or have YouTube channels or are doing this work, we're not, you know, we're not just doing it for personal accolades. I certainly enjoy the, the positive feedback, but we're trying to get this work out there to the maximal number of people. And even with Emmy Award winning documentaries like Scientology in the Aftermath and millions of people watching it, 
there are billions of people on this planet. <laughs> so you see the, the numbers issue there, right? So that's that's the answer. All right. How's the weather in Denver? Not bad. It's actually getting really nice. Uh, we're going to be taking a walk later this afternoon. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I have not. Max Ryan asks if I've spoken with Rose McGowan at all. I have not. I have found Rose to be um, rather extreme sometimes, but I don't really have much of a chance of, of, of contacting or reaching out to her and having her listen to me. I'm, I'm far too small a, a creator for that. Um you know who I would give, well, I don't know that I would give body parts for this, but you know who I would love to interview would be Joaquin Phoenix. Now, that'd be a guy I'd like to talk to. He grew up uh, Children of God, I think, and um, or 12 Tribes, one of the two. And uh, um, and then, of course, he was, you know, he played in the Master. He played Freddy uh, in the Master. So that's an interview I would love to do. Um. Okay, let's see here. Oh, interesting question. High coordinator says, oh, and uh, actually, let me jump to the super chat. Alex, thank you for that super chat. Kubrick's daughter, Vivian, is still in Scientology. She joined at the time Tom and Nicole spent a year with the Kubrick family. Shooting eyes wide shut. Is there a correlation? Do you have some inside info? I only know what Tony Ortega has reported about Vivian Kubrick and her involvement with Scientology, um, which is that she's a Scientologist. She's a Scientology defender, and it's really quite sad. Um, you know, Cruz is quite the little disseminator. Cruz is somebody who tries to get people in. You know, you might have heard um, the... Um, who was it? Seth Rogen? Seth Rogen? I, I don't know how to... Uh, anyway, the comedian, he was recently talking about him and Judd Apatow's encounter with Tom Cruise a few years ago and uh, and how he had been trying to sell them on Scientology. I think I did a whole article about that. So um, that's actually, you know, I really know very little about the Kubrick family or Kubrick's uh, daughter at all other than what Tony's reported on on that i wish i could tell you more but i really don't have any other inside skinny um all right let's see here is <laughs> shimoda asks is john atak equally talkative off camera fascinating and wise man yes um you definitely see the real john uh as he is when we're talking just like the real me that's how we are <laughs> Constantly going. Uh, okay. Jews asks, Brielle asks, good morning, Chris. Question, could Scientology be the practice center of the Great Reset? I'm asking because I see so much resemblance. I do not know what the Great Reset is. You're going to have to clarify that for me. I'm not familiar with with what you're asking me there. Um, Max, I'm glad you saw the light on Tom Cruise. He looks, it's all a veneer. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Pale Blue Mama. Hey, hey, Amanda. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Steve. Okay. Um, practice center, under what circumstances? Oh, okay. Michael Jackson asks, under what circumstances would Scientology give away their books and CD lectures for free? Did you ask me this as a as a question on my ask? Uh, anyway, I got an email asking me this same question recently. Under what circumstances would they give away their books and lectures for free? If they thought that by doing so, they would either create tremendous goodwill, public goodwill, or if they um, were trying to somehow cajole or, or sidle up to somebody who was going to be and who who they thought would give them a lot more money, right? Uh, return on investment. It's all about return on investment with Scientology. They'll only put time or effort or energy into something if they know they're going to get something back from it. That's the whole intention with them, the money-making scam. So, for example, you might have um, booklets or CDs being given away at conventions. You know, Scientology shows up at sci-fi conventions, at book conventions, at New Age conventions, spiritual conventions. They give away stuff. They do, they do stress tests, things like that. Um, 
they give away a lot of way to happiness books, although those are usually paid for by somebody or sponsored by somebody. But sometimes they'll just do printings and 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 distributions of those too. Those are the two I could think of off the top of my head. It's not a common thing, but um, but for promotion promotional and marketing purposes, they they do that. All right. Um, Stu Bonham asks, how does word clearing work using dictionaries when Hubbard conveniently redefined so many words like reasonable? Um, they have their own dictionaries, Stu. There are two Scientology dictionaries. I don't have them here. I have them soft copy, so I can't show them to you. But one of them is about this thick, and the other one's about this thick. And one of them is the technical terminology of Scientology, and the other one is the administrative or organizational terminology. So two different dictionaries, and they use those. Uh, they were internally compiled by Scientologists going through Hubbard's works and, t and pulling out all the places he defined terms, and then they list them out under each of the specialized definitions for each of those words. So that's, that's kind of how that works. Okay. Um, Oh, yeah, Nick is also telling Michael you can find their stuff on Amazon. Yeah, you can find resold, you know, Scientology materials on eBay and Amazon and stuff, too. But I didn't quite get that's what he was asking. Um, have I heard of Lauren Huff or Hugh, who grew up in a nomadic doomsday Christian cult called the Children of God. Would you like to interview her? I, I, I have not heard of Lauren. Um, the name looks vaguely familiar, but I, I'm not sure who that is. Uh, yeah, send me contact data. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly be willing to talk to her. That sounds interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, so Jews, you've asked me a couple of times about this great reset. You're going to have to clarify what you're talking about. I do not understand your question. Um. Okay, Christina, I spoke with Lucas Catan, who seeks to think David Miscavige will just leave with all his billions and leave the church high and dry. What do you think? I think that um, I think that David Miscavige is in it to win it, and I don't think he would leave until the very last possible moment, you know, maybe jumping out the back window if he saw the FBI walking up the path with handcuffs in hand. Right, like that kind of a scenario. I think you'd see David Miscavige take off and leave high, leave everybody high and dry. But up until that moment, I don't think you're going to see something like that. David Miscavige's entire identity and purpose in life revolves around being the leader of Scientology. It's what gives him purpose and meaning and and power. He would never, ever, ever abandon that unless it was going to be forcefully taken away from him. That's that's my opinion. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I would, I would agree with Lucas on that, that that is what he would do. Um, I just think it would require that scenario. I don't think he's counting his days. I don't think he's going to take off tomorrow. I could obviously be completely wrong. I mean, David Miscavige is a little hard to predict, but that's how I see it. Um, Polly asks, have I watched The Handmaid's Tale? Not yet. I've got all the seasons ready to go. But I've been too busy with uni and other stuff to to watch that yet. I have been watching. We've been watching Big Love, uh, kind of odd show. It's about the Mormons uh, and about polygamy and uh, sort of a not straight mainline Mormonism, but uh, sort of this polygamous offshoot, you know, culty FLDS kind of connection. Uh, and it's for that reason I've been watching the show. It's it's uh it's okay. Uh, Handmaid's Tale. I am definitely looking forward to watching, and I will be doing. Um, I've got a. I've got videos planned for for a lot of different cults and entertainment kind of series. Um, but that's after I get done with my university work. Uh, okay. Hey, Sweden. Awesome. Um, okay, just going down the line here. Hope I'm. Hope I'm keeping up. Okay. <laughs> um. What's the difference? Okay, let's see here. Let me make sure I didn't miss any. Uh, oh, thank you, Polly, for that super chat. Awesome. Just make sure I didn't miss a question there. Um, okay, Chris Wood. What's the difference between a Thetan that makes you alive and the crappy ones that you need to get rid of? Um, well, the difference is that, quite simply, Chris, that one of them is you. Uh, you. You are a... 
Phaeton, here, here you are. You're happy Batman Phaeton, right? This is you. This is who you really are deep down at a core level. That's you. Now, these other Thetans, Iron Man here and, and the Spartan cheerleader and Wonder Woman, these guys, these are other individual entities who are glommed on to or clustered to you. They're stuck to you. And they're out of it most of the time. They're unconscious, sleeping, kind of, you know, not really with it. They're in a very degraded state. Through the, through the action of the OT levels, you rehabilitate them one at a time. You contact this guy, right? And, hey, wake up. Let's get to it. Remember this thing. Do, do, you know, do, do, do these little different processes that Hubbard says. And you wake the guy up, and then he goes, hey, wait a minute. What am I doing here? And off he goes. And now he's no longer glommed onto or clustered with you. That's how that works. It's all bullshit, of course, but that's how it supposedly works. Okay. Um, all right. So, and in terms of what's the difference between them as a Thetan, there isn't any difference. They're both Thetans. It's just a matter of, of a state of awareness. That's, that's the difference. Um, okay. Ex-Scientologist asks, have you heard of Nature Boy, leader of a cult accused of using black women and children for financial gain and being a serial woman abuser? No, I have not heard of Nature Boy. That's a new one. Um, yes, degrees of consciousness and intent, Nick. Yeah, Nick answered that, uh, correctly. Nick asks, are any Scientology books worth reading, such as The Problems of Work? Um... No, I don't think so. I, I don't endorse it. I don't think Scientology is worth your time. Um, I will tell people who are asking me if they're going to go look at it or, are, you know, I'm going to go into the Church of Scientology and, and check out auditing. Okay. You know, I'm not going to tell you don't do that, but I'm not going to tell you to do it either, right? Because uh, I don't endorse it. I don't think it's good stuff. So, no, I don't think there's any books worth reading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, right. Okay. Um, oh, Amanda asks, do you worry that because only a limited number of people are afflicted by, affected by Scientology compared to, say, Christianity or Islam, this hinders the spread of awareness about the church's abuses? Yes, absolutely, that is the case. Scientology super niche. Super niche, right? It's it's this weirdo UFO alien, you know, Hollywoodish kind of you know cult, and people really only know much of anything about it at all because of John Travolta and Tom Cruise, which, as I've commented before, is the double-edged sword, right? They they know about it and get it promoted because of the celebrities, but then when the celebrities act nuts like Tom Cruise does, you get a negative backlash. So, um, but yeah, the, the size and the, and the scope of Scientology is so immensely tiny that it is hard to get people to realize um, the level of problem that it actually is and, um, and how abusive it actually is. It's, it's, it's hard, you know, because we, um, in the critic world, I'll speak for myself here only, and I will say... Um, some days are better than others, you know, as a survivor. So some days you're in a decent mood about it. You can talk relatively cleanly and, and unbiasedly about it. And other days you can't do really anything but ridicule it and make jokes about it because you're kind of pissed about it. And then other days you just don't want to talk about it at all. You know, And it's a little hard to get information out of you. So anyway, it kind of, you know, just commenting on that. But um but yeah, the size and scope of it does make talking about Christianity or Islam um, or Buddhism, even for that matter, uh, way easier uh, than talking about Scientology. Um, <laughs> Chris Wood, am I? Uh, are you down with competitive yelling? Uh, no. Uh, the. Yeah, no, I, 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 no, I'm not gonna go competitive yelling. All right, let's see here. Uh, somebody else, I think, just up. Oh, preacher, okay, preacher, eleven thirty-eight. Thank you for that super chat. 
Mike Rinder and others have said that Miscavige might be repeating Hubbard's pattern of going into hiding and might meet a similar fate as Hubbard. Do you think that there is some validity to that? Absolutely. Yes, I absolutely think there's some validity to that. Um, David Miscavige has been in hiding from the public for 20 years. He hasn't given a public interview since the late 90s. And that was only a written article uh, interview. He hasn't really been seen in public or challenged in any significant way since Ted Koppel talked to him in, what, 1992 or three? I mean, it's a joke. The guy is a total coward, and he is um, hiding from everybody, you know, and ruling his roost from, you know, his little inner circle. So, um, you know, that he might go into hiding from Scientologists, too, like Hubbard did, where he goes, you know, went off in a in a Bluebird mobile home and and just totally vanished, and nobody knew where the hell he was. Um, yeah, Miscavige could totally get away with that, and totally easily he could do that. But um, turning over the day to day running of the church to others means that he opens himself up to the same kind of coup that he pulled on Hubbard. And I don't think Miscavige is, is really in a, in, a, in a place where he wants to do that. So I don't think he's going to go off and do the Hubbard thing. Maybe later. I don't think right now. I think he's getting too much excitement and thrill still out of running and micromanaging every aspect of Scientology. We'll see if that changes as a result of the Masterson prosecution. Because I think that is front and center in his in his uh, face right now, and I think that he's got a lot of worry about this Masterson case. There is a tremendous amount of church exposure already just from the four-day preliminary hearing. We're going to see uh, Danny Masterson get arraigned, I think, this next week, and that just means he'll be entering his guilty or innocent plea, and then a schedule for the trial itself will actually be set. And um, that's probably not going to happen until later this year or early next year. So we've got to have some time on our hands here until we see what rolls out with that. But this is not the sort of case that he can just throw money at and it's going to settle. This isn't a civil suit. So this is unlike anything else that Scientology has faced before, all the way back to Lisa McPherson. And Lisa McPherson is the closest David Miscavige ever came to going to jail. I mean, it was really close, and it, if it wasn't for Marty Rathbun destroying evidence and tampering with witnesses and, and them having um, messed with the examiner, the medical examiner for Clearwater so intensely, then David Miscavige probably would be in jail right now. That's how bad that Lisa McPherson thing was, at least as I see it. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I see it. So this is a whole new round of that with church exposure. It's not quite as directly exposed as they were with Lisa McPherson because they got Danny Masterson as the one who actually committed the atrocious acts. But the church helped cover them up. And uh, they helped in a really big way. And that's accessory at least. So there's a, there's a lot of things at play here with this case. And I am, um, as you can tell, a little animatedly excited about it. So that's what I can say about that. All right. Um, Let's get back to the list of questions here. Um, okay, Jonathan Perry, you said that you can be declared or sent to the RPF for a rock slam. Yes, I did say that. It happens all the time. Would Miscavige be diabolical enough to tamper with some to set someone up? I, you know, a couple of people asked this question, uh, Jonathan, and um, No, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because it really wouldn't be necessary for Miscavige to go that far out of his way to set someone up to go on the RPF. All he has to do, you get David Miscavige merely has to tell somebody, go to the RPF, and they're there. There doesn't have to be any cause or reason for them to be there other than pissing him off. So he doesn't have to tamper with e-meters to create rock slams to get people sent to the RPF in some covert fashion. He doesn't have to do that. And I've never heard of anybody opening up an e-meter and tampering with it in order to, in all the years I was in Scientology, I'd never heard of that. One thing I will share with you, though, that I have heard of is people creating a false rock slam on purpose 
with their hands. Okay, so you got the cans. You're holding this. You know, you're holding the cans, and you could sit there and squeeze them, or you could be wearing a ring. By the way, when you when you hold the cans on an e-meter, you can't be wearing a ring. You got to take your rings off, and if you can't take it off, you got to cover it up because the metal will short circuit the electrical flow. So, and it could also create a rock slam. So, uh, so no rings, but if you were to purposefully wear a ring or purposefully sit there and squeeze the cans like crazy, or, you know, sort of move your feet in a particular way, then you could create something similar to, or what could be interpreted as a rock slam. And I saw one, two people, uh, do that. Because uh, one of them, because he was so miserable on his job that he wanted to go to the RPF because he thought it would be a break. Yeah, that came up while he was on the RPF. That was exciting. Okay, so um, that's what I've seen with that. Um, okay, e-meters... Okay, X Science says, I tried to find out exchange in the dictionaries but couldn't find it. I know what it is, but I wanted the official definition. Do you know where to find it? Um, no, there isn't. I've never seen an official, I, I mean, I'm, off the top of my head, I've never seen an official definition for out exchange in Scientology other than the simple put the out and exchange together and you get somebody whose exchange is not in it's not correct it's not feasible it's not viable it's not it's, it doesn't work it's out that would be that's out exchange it's kind of fun so far are we uh are we doing okay with this so far uh let's see max ryan asks did you know gay people who were scientologists even though scientology condemns it when I was an active Scientologist, I knew I knew one person who had said they used to be gay and no longer were, even though they still acted rather flamboyant. He was a hairdresser in Santa Barbara, always wearing bright pinks and hot, you know, glow colors and, and wild hair and really nice guy, super, super nice guy. Um, but and he said Scientology had you know, addressed his gayness. I don't know that that was actually true. I think he was just suppressing the hell out of it. Um, okay, so that's, yeah, that's what I can say about that. Uh, Pale Blue Mama, did I tell you about Big Love? I feel that's a conversation we may have had. I don't think so, Amanda. I don't think that's, uh, I don't think we've ever talked about it. I haven't had Big Love conversations with anybody that I know of yet. Um, happy to, by the way, DM me. All right. Uh, okay. Thank you, Shimoda, for the shout out to the dog. Okay. Katie, Kate Seaver. I've uh, been watching you for a few months. Do you know Stu Williams? He works in the Hemet location. He works in publication. I'm sad that we have not had much contact since the early 80s. I do not know Stu Williams. No, I'm sorry. I can't speak to him at all. Sorry. Um, okay. Oh, okay, Nick Bravo is referring to something about this Great Reset question. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this book or this concept at all. I don't know um, Klaus Schwab or, or what this Great Reset is about. I, I can't really answer that. Um, oh, okay, perfect. Okay, good. Yes, uh, Big Love is the show with Bill Paxton. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it definitely does show cultic behavior. Absolutely does. Um, okay, that wants to eat Cheetos all day versus he wants to go to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Nick Bravo is asking, could... Excuse me. Could Thetan, could Thetans be considered sub-personalities? Example, the you that wants to eat Cheetos all day versus the you that wants to go to the gym. Yes, that's exactly how Hubbard posits that these body Thetans are affecting you is that they think thoughts that you misinterpret as your own thoughts. And so you have this cacophony of, of voices in your head, and they're coming from all these live entities that are stuck to you. 
and you're mistaking their needs and wants and intentions and desires with your own. And it makes for some pretty crazy making thinking. So if that were true, what a wonderful explanation for all kinds of mental health issues. But it's not true, so it doesn't. <laughs> but that's but that is the theory of it, Nick, uh, in terms of body thetans and and the thetan relationship. Okay. Um, Shimoda asks, yeah, this question comes along every now and again. If there's more thetans than people, how does Scientology explain population growth? Would enough people mean not enough thetans? Um. Well, let's take a look at this for a second. According to L. Ron Hubbard, there were trillions of Thetans brought to Tegiak 76 million or 75 million years ago uh, by Xenu in order to deal with this galactic overpopulation problem. Uh, so trillions and trillions of Thetans were brought here. Then the whole thing was blown up. Electronic traps were put on Earth to keep the Thetans here so they can't just take off and get off the planet, easily at least. Um, and then they were so mentally screwed with that they didn't know how to get off the planet or even know how to stay awake and alive. And they were given days upon weeks of intense brainwashing to compel them to have a body, want to have sex, have religion, to believe angels are real and devils are real too, and all kinds of other nonsense, including aging even, that bodies, you know, you're going to have a body, but it's going to get old and die. Um, all of these concepts were sort of implanted in everybody's head very, very forcefully with a whole lot of energy. And then they were just left here. And over all these millions of years, life has re-evolved here on Earth after this great catastrophe. And all these trillions of Thetans are just stuck here. And, and a lot of them are clustered together in this body Thetan setup, but not all of them. So there's still millions and millions of Thetans just stuck here, waiting for a body to be born that they will occupy. And I don't know that it's really imagined. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, conjecturing off of the OT materials here. So I don't know that Hubbard has any real solid answers for, well, what are they doing in the meantime, right? I don't know. Being a rock, you know, I mean, being an ant farm. There's all kinds of things that Thetan could be rather than just being a meat body. And, you know, so you could have, you, 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 we're just making up answers here, right? But this is kind of the spirit of how it's sort of thought about of in Scientology, at least as I know. So that's, uh, that's what I can say about that. Um, yes, every Scientology book is a hot mess and a word salad. Nick, I could not agree with you more. That is absolutely true. Um. Okay, ex-Scientologist asks, do thetans inhabit animals? Do you think animals have body thetans? <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose some animals might have body thetans if they're clustered. Um, theoretically, I suppose that's possible. Um, Hubbard only referenced this in my, in my memory of Scientology a couple of times where he talked about a thetan inhabiting or sort of overseeing a forest or how you know you could have a thetan who might run an ant colony or a or a you know a wide swath of creatures doesn't have to be an individual creature there's no hard and fast rules with this stuff in other words right a thetan is infinitely has infinite potential so what a thetan can or can't do is pretty much limited to whatever you want to say convenient isn't it <laughs> It's a convenient uh, mythology. Okay. Uh, yes, they are spiritual, not flesh. That is true. Um, Max Ryan, is Kirstie Alley as insane as she seems? I think so. 
Yeah, I think she's lost the plot. I think she lost it a long time ago. And I really, I feel more sad for Kirstie Alley than anything else. Every time I see her, there's a, you know, there's a lot of folks on Twitter who who ridicule her and kind of comment, you know, endlessly about her. And I and I get it. I definitely understand. She's a magnet for that because she pretty much seems to ask for it with her ravings on Twitter about stuff, about Trump, about Scientology, these sort of vague postings that she makes that are always weird Scientology illusions. Um, But I just feel very sad for her because she was, you know, appeared to be this very nice wild child type person. And then she got messed up with Scientology. You know, she got messed up with drugs and then she got involved in Scientology and her world really collapsed. So that's how I see it, at least. It's, It's quite sad. Do Thetans inhabit inanimate objects? Yes, they have been known to do that. Um, I'll never forget my dad telling me sometime when I was a kid, you know, that some Thetans are are a rock for a few million years. You know, they just want to take a rest. (laughs) Or they're so messed up they don't know how to be anything else. I never really did figure out how that was supposed to work. Um... Yes, Preacher 1138, I am saying that Scientology is not the huge behemoth of expansion it claims to be. Yes, I am saying that very, very much. Um, okay, let's see here. How Harvard Maven is so shit. Yeah, that's for sure. He's really not a good writer. Could David Miscavige actually be deceased and his inner circle are the ones running it? No, because he makes public appearances and inspections, and there's all kinds of stuff that goes on internally that you guys never hear anything about with Miscavige and Scientology. There's no way Scientology could continue to operate without David Miscavige being alive. Nobody's going to pull a weekend at Bernie's with with Miscavige or or something like that. That's just not... It's kind of unthinkable to me that that could even happen. Um... Ex-Scientologist, what's up with Riza Islam? Why would he be spreading anti-vax misinformation? Um, Because he's a dick? I don't know. I I don't like Riza Islam. Islam. I I just don't. I don't think the guy has much to contribute to the conversation when it comes to cults or religion. Um, Okay. Let's see here. Okay, DJ Better asks, how many parishioners do you think Scientology has lost during the COVID pandemic? I don't know, but I do know that um, they were not able to do all the things that they normally do in order to retain people during the COVID pandemic. And that tells me that they probably lost a few people. Um, however, under flying under the radar in Scientology is fairly easy to do for quite some time. And so COVID isn't necessarily a make break on people leaving the church. They could have just gone under the radar, not, in other words, not return the church's calls, not necessarily respond to emails. Nobody was going to any church events during this last year. But now with the vaccines and masks coming off and everything, they're going to be getting back into it. And you're going to see Scientology doing massive amounts of of outreach and recovery work now because they're not going to really have a whole lot else to do except that and try to get all these people back who they might have lost over the last year. I know about that. It's the kind of work I used to do. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Christopher uh, Masterson. Okay. Okay, ex-Scientology asks, can you explain why there is a non-interference zone and what the danger is? Um, okay, yeah, this is a little, uh, this is a little Scientology minutia for you. Um, I'll try to do this quick. Okay, so there is a place on the, you have this bridge to total freedom. And it's a number of services, right? It's just the levels of indoctrination in Scientology. So after you achieve the state of clear, you are um, supposed to get up to OT3 as rapidly as possible. Hubbard has some writings about this that are super, super specific and clear and say, well, not super specific. They're very generalized, actually. But 
They say, in no uncertain terms, you are in danger until you get up to OT3. Now, it's not now that, that so so what they did is after you go clear, you have to learn how to do solo auditing. You have to learn how to audit yourself. That's a big course. It takes a long time to get through. Then you have to do a couple different actions that get you prepped to get onto the OT levels. They are called OT preparations and OT eligibility. And, I'm, and I've already explained all this stuff in earlier videos, so I'm not going to go too detailed today. I'm just going to say you have these preparatory steps. Once you finish OT eligibility, then you get into what's called the no interference zone. You actually get started on the OT levels. And between the point of getting onto that and getting up through OT3, you're not supposed to be touched or do anything Scientologically other than those services. And you're supposed to just boom, boom, boom through OT 1, 2, and 3 as rapidly as you can. And those are audited solo on a daily basis until you're done with them. Once you commit to starting, you're doing it every day. There's no taking a break. There's no vacations. Not like that. It's a matter of months of commitment when you're on OT1, 2, and 3. OT1 is actually very short action. OT2 is longer. It can take anywhere from 70 to 150 hours of auditing, if I remember my numbers right. And then there's OT3. And OT3 is, you know, I, I guess about a month or something of auditing. Um, I think it varies from person to person how much auditing you're going to do or how long it's going to take you. But it's every day. So that's the no interference zone. And, um, and the, the reason for it is because Hubbard said you're in danger. You've, you've, you've gotten past the state of clear. You no longer have your own reactive mind. So you no longer have this, this engrams and all this stuff affecting you. But now that that filter is removed... All these body thetans are kind of sitting there. And and the reactive mind, your reactive mind, was sort of filtering a little bit of that for you. Now, don't, don't ask me to, to get too much more specific about how that works. But that's kind of how, you're, how, how it's explained in Scientology. Okay, good enough. Um... Well, sure. Nick asks, um, cults, religion, etc. try to promote destruction of the ego. Don't you think a healthy ego is necessary to see past the BS of these cults and religious slash political propaganda? Um, that's a really interesting question, Nick. Um, I think Buddhism tries to promote destruction of the ego. I don't know that Christianity or Islam are about destroying ego. I'm, I'm sort of thinking about that right now. I'm like, mm, I don't know that that's what they really do. It's, it's a, it's, if anything, it seems to me that the Abrahamic religions, and especially Islam and Christianity, are centered around in reinforcing the ego or reinforcing self-image. It's all about your own personal salvation and immortality through God, through, through accepting Jesus as your savior or through Islam with, you know, the, the followings of the Quran and, and Muhammad. So you live according to Sharia and you're supposed to have, you know, paradise. And these are all about feeding the ego, not removing the ego. The only thing I see in major religions that moves in the direction of trying to address or take away ego is Buddhism. And that's, even that is questionable because there's so many different, um, you know, uh, separations. There's so many different divisions in Buddhism. You can find almost anything you want to in it. So that's interesting. I do think that a healthy ego is necessary to see past BS. I mean, in terms of the human experience, if you don't have a good self-image or sense of self and some degree of self-trust and motivation, then you are going to be a sort of... Um, but you know, to boat in the tempest, you're gonna you're gonna go wherever the ocean takes you if you don't have any will and initiative to you know power yourself to on a different course. So yeah, I do believe that ego has something to do with you know critical thinking and resistance to authority. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. That's that's kind of some of the thoughts that come to mind immediately on that question, Nick. Um, okay, let's see. Moving right along. We are coming into the last 10 minutes. I am really trying to get through these. Um, the e-meter, Max Ryan, the e-meter is just a prehistoric biofeedback machine, correct? Um, interesting way of putting it. Let me just check something here real fast. Biofeedback is the process of gaining greater awareness of many physiological functions of one's own body commercially by using electronic or other instruments uh, with a goal of being able to manipulate the body's systems at will. If that's the definition of biofeedback, I would say no. The e-meter is not a biofeedback machine. The e-meter is a galvanic skin response measurer. It measures resistance to electrical flow. And L. Ron Hubbard's explanation or interpretation of what the e-meter is doing is that it's reading your thoughts. And that it is a direct line to the mental charge that is contained in the mental image pictures contained in your mind. All of that's bunk. That's all bullshit. Um, it's just measuring skin resistance. And um, your skin's resistance is changed according to hormones, ment uh, um, muscle stress and tension, and saline content, uh, amongst other things, right? So it's, it's a reflection of parasympathetic nervous system. And, uh, and yes, thinking is part of that process, but so is digesting your food. So is all kinds of other neurological systems that are, that are at play in the hormonal systems in your body. That's what the e-meter is registering. And, um, and the interpretation of the registrations is the, um, is the, is the mainline nonsense of Scientology. I don't know if all that made sense. I hope it did, but that's that's the most accurate way I know how to talk about what the e-meter is, is doing. Um, so, yeah, and it is kind of prehistoric, by the way. The, the, the galvanometer, the psychogalvanometer, as is used in Scientology, the basic circuitry was invented in the late 1800s. And Young, Carl Young, did work with that, with word association and stuff like that, and abandoned it because they found it to be incredibly unuseful in diagnosis and treating a mental illness. Uh, but that didn't stop Hubbard. Okay. So, moving right along here. Um, oh, God, we stand tall. Um, that's David Pomerantz. Yeah, David... David David Pomerantz, I believe. David Pomerantz, singer. Let me just Google, check, fact check myself here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, David Pomerantz is the lead singer on We Stand Tall. Okay, uh, let's see here. Oh, God, ex-Scientology asks, I always had to use a lot of lotion to get into the right tone arm range to be audited. Is that a pre-clear who has a certain type of case? <laughs> really? <laughs> you really? <laughs> um, no. It's somebody who has very dry hands and a hard time uh, getting a, an adequate connection to establish the electronic circuit. That's, that's all that means. It doesn't have anything to do with your case. All right, Pale Blue Mama asks, is Scientology lore easier to listen to while stoned? Asking for a friend. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yes, absolutely it is. Oh, my God. Okay, that's a good one, Amanda. Um, okay, would you consider making... Oops, sorry, lost that one. Would you consider making short answers to simple questions as a public service announcement, such as, is the PRF dangerous or is Scientology dangerous? Yes or no, how and why? Yes, Abraham, that's what I'm doing with my Critical Clips channel. That's the whole purpose of it. So if you haven't subscribed to my Critical Clips channel, please check it out. I post Monday through Friday short answers to, you know, excerpted answers and clips from my content. So uh, lots and lots of single answers to single questions uh, that I've answered in the past about Scientology is on that channel. So please do check it out. I don't, I don't 
promote that nearly enough. I really need to talk about what I'm doing a lot more. I, I, I feel like I talk about it too much when I mention things in my videos, but I keep forgetting that not everybody's watching all my videos. So anyway, uh, let's see here. Um, can a Thetan make a rock that he can't lift? No, that would be impossible. Um, that would not be possible. Let's see. Okay. Oh, got back to, I got caught up to where we were when we were talking about Kirstie. <laughs> I'm a little behind on the comments. Okay. Question from Stu. What on earth to the Church of Scientology and Islam have in common with the Church of Scientology has links with What? What on earth? Oh, why? Okay. The Nation of Islam connection with Scientology is a bizarre one, but I believe that they are actually meeting on money. Louis Farrakhan and David Miscavige are, are not two people that have anything in common except for the fact that they are leaders of destructive cults who are, make money off of the scam. Uh, and I'm talking about a lot of money, and I am talking about criminal connections. So that's what the two things have in common for real. Um, dogmatically, they don't have any meeting, and in fact, dogmatically, they are very opposed to one another. But they make it work because Louis Farrakhan was somehow sold on Dianetics, and I believe I was told that he had a personal experience with Dianetics that moved him, and, and he thought Dianetics would be something that would be useful to people. It happens. And um, maybe that's the truth, maybe it's not, but I am convinced personally that the union of Nation of Islam and Scientology is on money. And everything else is just smoke and mirrors bullshit like everything else in Scientology. Um, okay, Max, have I done anything on Mormonism? Yeah, I've done a, quite a bit on Mormonism. Check out my three apostate podcasts. Um, we did quite a few of those where I talked with a former Mormon named Jonathan Streeter at length. Uh, we compared contrasted Scientology as well as um, another person, Lloyd, who was uh, a former JW. So we did compare and contrast many, many uh, podcast episodes on my Sensibly Speaking podcast about Mormonism. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, Jonathan's mentioning I haven't seen Aaron Smith Levin around. Yeah, I need to I need to contact him. We need to do another talk uh, before too long here. Have I heard of David St. Lawrence? Um, he'll communicate with your body thetans for you. Yes, I do know who David St. Lawrence is. Yes. <laughs> Okay, going down the line here. Um, <laughs> Do I have a favorite song that reminds me of happy times? I have too many of them to list, actually. I'm a huge music guy. Love music. Um, love the music I grew up with. Love lots of variety of music. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, thanks for that super chat, Ua. I'm just seeing that now. Thank you very much for that. Um, okay, does Meg Ryan's current appearance scare you, Chris? <laughs> I haven't seen Meg Ryan recently. I don't know what she looks like. Uh, okay, let's see. I'm going to skip down the line here. Couch, thank you very much for that super chat. Awesome. Thank you. Um Oh, Shimoda asked a serious question. Is it possible for women on the RPF to get sanitary products for that time of the month? Yes, it is. They're sold in the crew canteen. I never, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I didn't hear about personal problems with that, with getting feminine projects while on the RPF. Um, seems like the kind of thing you would have at least overheard once or twice. So I never really heard of a problem with that. Um, okay. Yes. And yes, they can afford sanitary products. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, but sometimes that's all they can afford. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. Okay. Uh, Shimoda, what's my favorite ice cream flavor? Okay. We're going to, we're going to wrap up on that one. Uh, what's my favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. I cannot get enough of mint chocolate chip. I love chocolate brownie. I am big on um, on Ben and Jerry's. I like Chunky Monkey and a couple other flavors, American Dream, and I think uh, 
some other one. Um, I like those a lot, but my favorite, favorite ice cream is mint chocolate chip. Okay, and with that, I think I got to the super chats, and I think I got to most of the questions here today. I had to skip ahead a little bit, but I want to thank everybody who participated. You guys were awesome. Thanks for all of your wonderful questions. I hope I gave some decent answers in this hour. And I'm going to um, wrap up now. In an hour from now, I'm going live again on Facebook with Clint Haycock. And we're going to talk about uh, religious uh, trauma syndrome. We're going to talk about mental health and religiosity. And um, I'm not planning on talking about how everybody who has religion is insane or mentally ill. I think we all know me better than that. But I am going to talk about those things, and we're going to take questions from people, too. It's Clint is the one who's hosting that show. I'm just a guest. But that'll be happening in an hour if you guys want to check that out. Links are on up on Twitter and um, uh, Facebook. If you, I will share it on my Facebook profile. And my I have a page, Critical Thinker at Large, Chris Shelton. Look that up on Facebook, and I will get a post. I will get a link to that uh, show we're doing in an hour. Uh, okay, guys. Yes, I'll get that link up there. And with that, uh, oh, actually, in fact, maybe I could just link to it here right now. Uh, let me back up here. No, I got to find it, and I don't want to. I'll just post it on my Facebook page after all this. All right, guys. Let's wrap up. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.